This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink, inspiring public curiosity about food. Learn more at mofad.org. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meet and 3, Heritage Radio Network's weekly food news roundup. This week, we're celebrating Black culture through the complicated lens of agriculture. We speak to Carla Hall about her uncompromising soul food recipes. And I was like, what am I doing? Why am I changing my family's history for another culture? We also hear from Gabriela Rodriguez at Harlem Grown's Youth Farm Uptown. About empowerment and, you know, community resilience building through this work. Um, food is kind of just a vehicle. Leah Penniman addresses feeling like an outsider in the farming community. I could count on my two hands the number of, of people who appeared to be POC, people of color. And so I literally would go around little slips of paper and, and, and say, hey, meet at one o'clock under this tree so we can talk. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network. That's Meet plus sign T-H-R-E-E, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Why Food Podcast, the podcast about entrepreneurs, innovators, and other creative types who have left their previous jobs and jumped into the world of food, beverage, and hospitality. I'm your co-host, Jenny Dorsey, and Ethan is not here with us this week because he is out spice hunting in Vietnam, but he'll be back next week, no fear. But I do have an awesome guest, Deepti Sharma, who is the founder and CEO of food to eat a online uh catering concierge we'll talk about the difference between concierge and a platform um specializing in minority owned women owned immigrant food businesses as well as the co-founder of picky a data aggregation platform for various restaurants thank you so much for being here thank you for having me so i want to start with your career before food to eat uh we actually met a few years ago over a dinner and you had already started on this journey but before that you had a career kind of in politics and you went to law school can you talk a little bit about that so quick correction, I didn't go to law school. Oh, you were thinking about yeah, going yeah, to law school? I was thinking about going to law school. Um, but I graduated in 2008 and, you know, jobs were already hard to find and I didn't feel like I wanted to be in debt. So to in debt to find a job and it was just going to be a mess. Anyways, um, I throughout, so community has always been a big part of who I am as an individual. And when I say that, I, you know, really started thinking about my privilege when I was in middle school and... Uh, a part of our curriculum was community service. So every week we would go out and volunteer at a disabled uh, preschool, um, at a school with disabled students. And it really just got me thinking about my privilege and where I am in life. And I, from that day, from that time in my life, I thought I wanted to serve my community. And so when I got to college, the way I did that was working on campaigns, uh, working on campaigns of individuals um, that I believed in would be great candidates and would help drive the proper legislation that was needed in that community that they were serving um, to drive change. And so I worked on a number of political campaigns um, at a political consulting firm. And so that's where law school came into the picture because I thought that would be my next natural step. Mm -hmm. Never wanted to be a lawyer, um, practicing lawyer. I just really wanted it for the education because I thought it would help me. Um, but like I said, it just was going to be a weird time in a way to feel like I may not get a job when I came out of law school. And so I didn't, you know, think it was the right step for me. Um, and instead I started my company food to eat, which was also kind of accidental. Can you talk a little bit about, um, when you were seeing grassroots chains or working through that, what were some of the things you felt really actually helped the community and made sure that they were being able to, you know, improve over time. They weren't kind of being, you can talk about food to eat, like making sure they're not being taken advantage of when they're working with third party vendors and trying to grow their business. So when we started Food to Eat, you know, I, um, one of the things that we saw a lot of happening was third parties platforms were selling themselves as marketing bit. So mm -hmm. Seamless, Grubhub were, you know, telling restaurant owners like, hey, you know, just this is a marketing cost. So we're charging you 20, 30 percent because, you know, it's going to, you know, part of it is the margins that we need to take. And the other is, you know, just your marketing dollars that you would spend anyways. And the funny thing is most restaurants don't actually realize marketing. You, they don't all actually have the marketing dollars, yeah. right? Their margins are already so slim because they're small business owners that they don't have the budget to keep working with 
uh, platforms like, you know, Seamless or Grubhub. And so when we started Food to Eat, you know, we wanted to be really conscious of what we were charging. We wanted to keep their margins in mind and make sure that we weren't hurting their business, that we were adding to it and that we were, you know, essentially just adding to their bottom line so that they can stay in business and think about growing and scaling. Um, but we didn't want to come in with this white lie of pretending to be what, you know, something that we weren't. What, um, can you just break down how it actually does work when people use something like a, a seamless or a Grubhub? They char, uh, the customers buy from X business and then they receive like the food plus there's a 20%, 30% fee on top of it, but the food is not marked up at all. So like how do, how do restaurants even make that work? So restaurants don't, you know, that's why <laughs> restaurants are shutting down every other day, right? And that's why restaurants are trying to, you know, have their own native online ordering platforms. They don't want, you know, they're 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 willing to give 10% off on their website as opposed to allowing someone to order through Seamless or Grubhub, right? Mm-hmm. So as a consumer, when you place an order on Seamless or Grubhub, the restaurant is paying anywhere from 15 to 30% to the too seamless. Yep. Um, and so the restaurant is actually losing. Most restaurants' profit margins are below 15%. Mm-hmm. So to think about the fact that that's what they're paying, they're essentially losing every single time somebody is ordering. Um, and it's a numbers game. If, you know, they have other things that are helping supplement, that's okay because it's, you know, it could be seen as a marketing cost, but most restaurants don't have other things going on. Um, Food to Eat actually started off as a consumer platform, and we started off with the premise of wanting to be the Robin Hood of the online ordering world, right? We wanted to charge really low fees. We wanted to be fair with the restaurants. We wanted to keep their profit margins in mind. Um, and we were getting a lot of great press. We were talking a lot about you know, the, the fees that these third-party services were charging. But what we inherently realized is that people don't care, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, people care about their convenience. And if Seamless was going to continue allowing them to order from Dig In or Chopped, um, and maybe some of those, you know, mom and pops, then that was enough for them. They didn't care that Food to Eat was this mission-driven company trying to help restaurants keep their money. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I say to people all the time is, you know, when you go outside and there's no small businesses that are open, that is going to be the, one of the most depressing times. Yeah. That no small businesses exist because they are the livelihood of our neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. You know, they bring light and life and energy. And people don't realize that when they're just sitting at home and they don't see the repercussions. But when they go out for a walk and hopefully they are going out <laughs> <laughs> at they, some point, yeah. yeah, at some point, they realize that this can affect them and and it does have an effect on them socially and emotionally and so that these are the things that I tell them to think about um but then again you know I couldn't keep running a business that you know was so hard to grow and scale yep and at the end of the day you know there was a lot of companies that were opening up at the time there was grub uh, you know there was grubhub and seamless but there was uber eats caviar jordash and mm-hmm. they were all literally doing the same thing and to this day they all do the same exact oh, yeah. thing and there's no real value other than yes they are providing a few more orders but again at what cost and restaurants are still shutting down every day mm-hmm. not just because of these third-party services but they're a contributing factor why um why do you think that kind of like continual discord is still going on in the market. And what do you think? I mean, now that Futia has moved to catering, which we can talk about in a second, do you think there is any hope for these consumer platforms that are doing delivery to be better? Do they have any incentive to change? I don't know, honestly. I it's something that I think about, but I, I don't really have the answer. Otherwise I, you know, I I tried creating a solution and that particular solution didn't work at the time and doesn't mean it can't. But I think that people don't go in thinking about the restaurants or the food vendors. They go in thinking about their own, you know, bottom line, which is like the Postmates and the DoorDashes. They think about what money are we driving in. When investors are investing in them, they're just thinking about how many number of people are ordering in um, and that that part of it. And so until somebody goes in really trying to understand the restaurant side, I don't think that things will change. And every founder that you look at, is not a founder that comes from the food industry, is not somebody that actually understands, you know, what goes on or happens. At at the end of the day, it's just somebody that understands numbers and Excel spreadsheets and is creating the best case scenario for a company to be successful on the third party side. Yeah, I actually had a really interesting um, interview with Uber Eats back in the day when they were first launching in San Francisco. And they like, we went through this whole hour long exercise about what was the perfect burger. But, and I kept trying to say, well, but, 
but restaurants want to make their own burger or their own thing. They're like, no, we just need to streamline all the restaurants and then they can become a cog and then you put them in and then you take them out. Mm -hmm. And it was a very, it was a really bizarre and kind of like alien way to think about food. But unfortunately it seems like that's where a lot of the, the food tech kind of struggle is today. It's convenience. At the end of the day, people think about their convenience and what is easiest for them to do. Right. And Mm -hmm. not what is the right thing to do. It's kind of like the way we look at environment today and, um, people not realizing that the choices that they make today will affect us today, tomorrow, and 100 years from now. So we need to be extremely smart about what we do and how we do it. It's hard to see 50 years in the future and want to act about that today, which is unfortunate. Yeah, it is. Um, But on that note, I want to talk a little bit about how you guys did pivot um, to a catering and also like a high-touch kind of uh, concierge sort of uh, business versus like a zero cater where people are kind of just plugging and playing online. Um, can you talk about that transition, how you thought of why that makes sense and how that's, you know, panned out? Yeah, absolutely. So for us, what was important was, um, again, we wanted to be able to add value to the businesses we were representing. And these were small business owners that we started talking to and said like, Hey, you know, what do you have problems with day to day? One of the biggest things we realized was, um, through a lot of conversations that they were, they weren't spending enough time on their catering business because they didn't know how to, um, and they didn't have a proper stream of business coming in. Right. So they'd have a couple of inquiries of people, you know, that would ask them like, Hey, can we get some catering? And that was it. Mm -hmm. They didn't really continue the conversation. So we said to them, you don't have the means to hire somebody. Why don't we become your sales and marketing for catering? Catering is the Holy grail of the, of the food industry because it's, um, you know, pre-planned. It's a, you're feeding a hundred people for doing the work of an hour or two. Yeah. And, you know, instead of like an entire day at a restaurant where you would have fed a hundred individuals, um, you're doing it in one shot. And so it's just a great way to kind of sustain business for most food vendors. And so we said, this would be perfect. How about we go in, we help you with this part. And a lot of restaurants were loving that we would be able to do that. Um, a small business owner is even, you know, I, am guilty of this. We work in, um, our business as opposed to on our business. Mm -hmm. And what happens is you're just thinking about the day to day as opposed to the future, right? Something that you were just saying, how can we think about 50 years from now, but you need to, right. And that's Mm -hmm. why people from business backgrounds and degrees think about a business plan so that they can, you know, think about all the things that it takes to create a business. And if something goes wrong, well, what's the draw, you know, what's the, the plan B, um, So yeah, we made this pivot because, you know, we didn't see, you know, we were able to add enough value in the consumer side. We wanted to still be able to add to their bottom line. And so we pivoted into this B2B model and we started off with, um, we were working with food trucks. And so we started off working with a couple of companies by feeding them during the summer with food trucks outside of their office. Mm -hmm. So our pitch was get your employees outside, rent a food truck and feed them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so companies loved that and then when you know it started becoming winter time we said we also work with a ton of restaurants that can cater indoors so why don't you provide you know a a regular meal for your employees it's great for company culture it's great for people to come together from different departments and actually talk to each other and and food is a great way to a great conversation starter right so that was our sell then it started off with the food trucks. It started off with, you know, bringing people together on teams um, and being able to provide it as a simple benefit um, and creating a good culture within within companies. Um, and then we slowly started, you know, just like gaining traction from there. And your mission and the restaurants that you do choose to work with is a big part of the food to eat identity. Can you talk about that? How you um, vet these people? How do you make sure that you are helping the community? How do you make sure that they're also, you know, part of the ecosystem that you want to continue kind of like giving them business, making sure that they're recognized by the clients that you're serving? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I am a first generation immigrant. I'm a woman and I'm a woman of color. Um, so those were really just important to me when I started the business, even from day one. Um, you know, when I started to talking to the food vendors, I realized that, you know, a lot of them didn't come from business backgrounds. They were just doing this as a job. Um, and I wanted them to be, you know, they, I wanted them to feel empowered. Um, and the way I did that was again, like just talking to them and trying to create solutions for them. So, you know, like I said, I, I am all of these things and I wanted to represent that in my business. So at Food to Eat, we, you know, concentrate on working with immigrants, with women and, um, minority owned managed and, uh, 
run food businesses so that we can help create diversity at uh, corporations that we work with. So, you know, today diversity is a big topic. Diversity is becoming a trendy topic. Yeah. And, you know, we don't want, you know, we, we, we've been doing this for a while, but we want companies to start thinking about diversity you know, beyond just hiring women and people of color and beyond just the quotas that they need to fill. We wanted them to start thinking about diversity in by, by being able to use their purchasing power and investing in the community that they're a part of, right? So, you know, if you have an office on 50th and Park Avenue, what are the small businesses around there that you can give business to? What are the businesses in New York City that you can give business to and help, you know, encourage to continue to stay in business because you're giving them business at the end of the day. Um, so a lot of what we do is just making sure that we we sell not only the service, which is, you know, helping office managers, facility managers to figure out what food and beverage they need to bring in for a team meeting or a meal um, or an event that they're hosting, but to really think about diversity and how they're actually impacting their community. Um, I'll ask the kind of the difficult question of money. Like, how do you make sure that many times your mission because you're working with smaller businesses, you might not be able to offer and you're charging them less in terms of um, percentage that you're taking. Your prices might be higher than going to a much larger conglomerate who aggregates all these, you know, like bigger businesses like Chopped. Um, how do you like make sure that mission makes sense for them? And so they're buying into that and they are willing to pay the extra dollar or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, we honestly, we're, we're at the end of the day, we're providing a couple of things. We're providing convenience and we're providing, you know, the the convenience that we're providing, number one, is important because, you know, oftentimes office managers or um, facilities managers, HR people, they are running around with their heads chopped off doing <laughs> a number of things, yeah. right? And so we want to come in and say, hey, you guys don't necessarily know a lot, not that they don't know a lot about food, but they're not experts in it, right? Sure. When it comes to having to feed vegans, vegetarians, gluten-free people, because God knows how many dietary restrictions exist today. Yeah, so many. So many. Um, you know, like, y y they get overwhelmed by all of that. And so we say, we're going to provide you the convenience of we be the food experts. We're going to build out the proposals of whatever it is that you need to feed the 100 people in your in your office every week. So let us take that over. The second thing is, um, as, as millennials, you know, in, and not just us, but like people in general, like I said, diversity is becoming a thing that's on top of mind for everyone. People want to think about how they can do something to have better their community. And so we're helping them do that as well, right? Where, so those are the two most important things, convenience and then how to better your community. And the way we do that is again, supporting immigrant women, minority owned businesses, because by supporting them, it's really essential for us to grow and it's in the political climate that we're in where we have a government that doesn't care about any of these mm -hmm. things we want to be able to pro give companies a way to do that and feel not just better about what they're doing but actually say that they're doing it and so not just saying that we're employing x number of immigrants or women or whatever but we're actually purchasing from them as well and we're helping the immigrants or the minorities that we've hired feel even more welcome by being able to provide that end-to-end -end service to them and some of these businesses are relatively small businesses um, who might be kind of like on the beginning of their journey to becoming a larger caterer, for, for instance. Um, can you talk a little bit about the process of how you also work with them to, you know, continually improve what they're doing, be able to help them grow their business and also just maybe shift their mentality towards a more business minded mindset? Yeah, I mean, a lot of times, you know, we're, we're helping them by, you know, we go in, we try to understand who they are today and who they want to be, mm -hmm. right? So what kind of business do you want to create for yourself? And, you know, we talked about vetting, you know, you brought it up and one of the things that we do to vet these businesses is, is um, we're, we're asking them to give us tastings, right? So we can't sell what we don't know. Yep. Um, and so the first thing, the first step is to come in, provide us a tasting, tell us your story, tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are and why you started this business because the why is more important than just the what, right? At the end of the day, I want to know more about what you know drove you to want to start this business because First of all, to get into the food industry, you have to be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, it's not easy. Um, but to also just, you know, provide this connection, right? We don't want to be just seen as this third-party service. We want to be seen as partners. And if we don't know who you are, again, like how do we build a relationship and how do we build a community? So that first step is allowing them to come in, 
um, providing us a tasting, telling us about themselves, tell us their story. And we do a lot of questioning, right? We do ask a lot about, you know, who is on their team, who is a part of their delivery team versus their cooking um, staff. And, and, and all of those things are really important because it tells us, can they actually service a room of 500 versus just 20 people Mm -hmm. and so once we realize you know like where they're at in their business we say hey yes you know you can absolutely come on board we don't think that you can uh, necessarily do the 500 you know person dinners or lunches that we're doing but you can probably start off with something smaller and we'd start testing them out there Um, there's some people that have literally been in business for weeks and they've come to us because they found us and we say let's get you let's come to us in three months you know and what we're we want to see your business at that point is it's somebody it's somebody that's not just you um because at the end of the day for example if a family emergency occurs yeah what happens then you know we have a corporate client who relies on us to make sure that this food shows up that is now without any food yeah and obviously like you know this has happened to us before but this is where we started doing this vetting process even Mm -hmm. more rigorously where we have a network of over a hundred um, local vendors that we were able to quickly, you know, scramble and figure something else out for them so that they were not left with zero food. But at the end of the day, that vetting process is really important for our clients so that they know that what, when they're working with us, that quality is also going to be a part of it. Um, but also who that person is and they, do they actually have the staffing? What do you think are the main issues, um, younger, not younger, uh, smaller entrepreneurs face when they are kind of trying to transition into many times they have like maybe a small brick and mortar and they want to do more of a catering business. Things that kind of get just get lost in translation between those two. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times what they forget is pricing, right? Mm -hmm. Like the way they serve their food and the cost um, that they serve it at at a restaurant versus, um, you know, you know, at a catering. Like they don't understand how they should be portioning their food, and so a lot of times in cases, and this has happened where we've recommended them to you, and Mm -hmm. you know, we we noticed that one of our vendors was. Um, sending way too much food for what they were charging. And we said, great, if you want to send six ounces of meat, that's fine, but charge more, you know? And if anything, people shouldn't be eating that much. You know, we see that there's a lot of waste happening and Mm -hmm. our our clients are telling us that there's a lot of leftover. We don't like food waste at all, right? Like that's really important to us. So a lot of times it's just kind of pairing them up with people that we know in the community to help them better understand what they should be doing um, and how they can be running their business more efficiently. What about the delivery side? Is it like, how do you manage? It's such a weird ecosystem. I know it sounds like the the business has handled their own delivery, mm-hmm. but do you have tips on how they should manage that? Because just trying to deliver to the places and the time that they're supposed to be there with the food that's supposed to be hot, like it's kind of a mess. Yeah, I mean, it's, I honestly, there's only so many things you can do. This is New York City at the end, at the end of the day and fender benders will happen. Trains <laughs> yeah. will be delayed because those are modes of transportation. You We'll be walking and we've had a weird situation where somebody was with a catering car and the cart got hit by a truck. What? Like on the sidewalk? The cart, they were crossing the street and uh, oh. like somebody hit the cart and the food was all on the floor. I mean, were they okay? The they pre- were okay. Oh, yeah, okay. And it was just the cart that got hit. And and we called the client and we said, hey, we're so sorry that this happened. Oh my God. And obviously the first question the client asked was, is the person okay? <laughs> yeah, just yeah. like you did. You know, and we're like, thank you. Yeah, thanks for (laughs) yeah, thanks for actually asking that question. Um, But we were, you know, we were able to figure something out, and and that's the reason why companies are working with us is because we're people. At the end of the day, we're not you know an online ordering platform like Easy Cater, and they're great for what they do. But we're a concierge service. We realize that catering is still high touch. People are spending ten thousand dollars on a meal with us, and they don't want to click a few buttons and hopefully the right vegan vegetarian options show up. They right. want to make sure that. If there are any allergens, they're being taken care of. They're being understood. They actually understand the ingredients in their food. And that's what our service is all about, is understanding food um, holistically and actually being able to deliver service that people need and appreciate. Um, and so that's why companies are working with us, because of that like high-touch care that we put into it and, they, and then we actually come from food backgrounds and they're actually talking to a person is yeah. really nice well, no, instead absolutely. of waiting 48 hours for someone to like email them back yeah or it's an automated response based off of like a few clicks that they put in and and you know there's auto-generated proposals or something no there's somebody actually putting things together the person actually tasted this food and actually was a part of you know understanding and onboarding this vendor and that i think is a huge part of why people love us We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Mm -hmm. 
This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. Featuring a variety of interactive displays, MOFAD encourages eaters of all ages to be curious about food. The museum currently operates MOFAD Lab, a 5,000-square-foot experimental space in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where Chow, making the Chinese-American restaurant, is currently on show until the end of March 2019. This exhibition celebrates the birth and evolution of Chinese-American restaurants, tracing their nearly 170-year history and sparking conversations about food culture, immigration, and what it means to be American. It highlights the evolution timeline of Chinese-American restaurant menus, dating back to 1910, and also highlights a tasting section where participants get to enjoy tastings created by the country's most talented chefs who specialize in Chinese-American cuisine. Make sure you check out Chow while you still can. The exhibition closes at the end of March 2019. Check out MOFAD's tastings and extensive event calendar at mofad.org events. And welcome back. This is Why Food Podcast, and I'm your co-host, Jenny Dorsey. Again, Ethan is not here with us today. Very sorry for anyone who tuned in wanting to listen to him. Um, But he's in Vietnam, and we'll be back next week. Um, I'm here with Deepthi Sharma, who is the founder and CEO of Food to Eat, as well as the co-founder of Bicky. And we were just talking about her mission-driven business, and I want to highlight one of the campaigns you're running. Can you talk a little bit about that um, and why it matters, why now, and how you've been able to expose a lot more of your corporate clients to who made their food? Yeah, so the campaign is called I Made Your Food, um, and what we noticed was we were we're a mission-driven company. You know, we knew that. People we were talking to knew that, like office managers. So they were the only people we talked to at a company. The people eating it didn't, right? Mm-hmm. So people would come in. They would get their food, free food. Who doesn't like <laughs> free food? Yeah. Who doesn't like anything free? And then just runs away, right? They literally just come to take the free food and they run away. And what we started realizing was people didn't, like, you know, forget that they didn't know food to eat they didn't even think about having a connection with their food, mm-hmm. right? They didn't even spend a minute to think about somebody put this meal together. Who was that? Yep. You know, who's behind this? And so that really started bothering me when I was visiting clients and just seeing how the meals were going. And, you know, there were certain times where the office managers were taking the time to, you know, maybe send a quick email out and saying, hey, today food is coming from blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And that's it. But again, how many people were opening that email up? How many people were connecting with and that? And really reading and clicking. and Exactly. And so what we really wanted to bring out is the people behind the food and their stories. Similar to, you know, Humans of New York, where, you know, people are being photographed and then there's a story that's attached to it to read. Um, and we did a little bit of that. And we still didn't see a lot of connection or engagement. And so we said, it'd be kind of cool if we could get the chefs, the owners, and managers to hold photo to hold this um, sign that says, "I made your food" in the photographs. Mm-hmm. And so, "I made your food" is a social media campaign, and it's you know photos of all of our chefs and operators, whoever is willing to participate, because a lot of times they get shy or you know they sure. feel uncomfortable that people are going to be looking at them. Um, but a lot of our you know our vendors are very excited about this because it's getting them to step outside of their you know the the day-to-day that they do and just like being in the the kitchen or being in their restaurant and managing um and talking about themselves Mm because how many people stop them and ask them questions about who they are yeah and so these photographs are actually being delivered with our meals starting in march and that is really cool because it is getting people to stop for a moment have an emotional connection with their food see a picture of somebody that had something to do with their food yeah and then go on about it, right? You know, food is more than just, um, you know, what goes into our bodies. Food is, you know, how does it? How does our food affect our community? How does food affect our environment? How does food, you know, affect our economy? And so people are actually thinking about that more and more. And we wanted to actually be able to give people a way to provide that connection. And so, yeah, it's a really cool, simple campaign. And it's exciting to be able to share 
that network that we work with to the people that are actually eating the food. What have been some of the early responses so far, um, whether it's online or just people who've um, eaten the food and seen some of the photos? Honestly, so the reactions that we see are like smiles and like taking aback, like, oh, wow, this person, this yeah. person made my food. <laughs> yeah. And it's more like we see these reactions, you know, like, every, you know, I've had friends where, you know, we're asking people to, you know, go to our Instagram and share it on their stories and share the posts um, of, of stories that find uh, they find interesting or inspire them on their Instagrams. And a lot of people are very excited, right? Because, you know, we don't honor people behind certain things. And I, you think about um, just the generation, the time we live in, we want to be able to connect with the brands that we work with. And that's one of the things that was important to us is that how does food to eat speak as a brand? You know, like we were talking about, how do you get people to pay more for food sometimes? Mm -hmm. And if people didn't recognize what our brand was and why we do what we do, how can they want to buy into that? And so I made your food as a part of our own branding to talk about you know, why we do what we do every day. Why does food to eat exist? Yes, we can be seen as yet another catering concierge service, but we're taking the time and the effort to understand our community and building a community for you to be a part of. Um, and, and, and that I think is really important as a part of this campaign. It's also interesting that there is this kind of, the, the some of the people that you mentioned, they're like nervous about showing their face mm-hmm. when in contrast, a lot of, there's like that celebrity chef complex right now mm-hmm. where if you aren't out there making media appearances, you almost like can't run the food restaurants of like before where chefs just kind of were in the kitchen. So it's also like kind of dealing with that new food landscape. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, like at the end of the day, not everybody is going to be David Chang, right? Like, you know, these are just hardworking Americans that are just trying to make a living. And we want to recognize them. We want to recognize their stories and that these are the stories that make America, um, America, right? These are the people that are actually building this country today. And again, like in this political climate, I think that's even more important today more than ever is to elevate these stories and empower them that America is made up of minorities. America is made up of immigrants. America is made up of women. And we come from all different backgrounds and, um, and socioeconomic backgrounds as well and and we contribute to this country and so that is really cool when we go to these companies we tell them that diversity is again like i said more than just hiring women and people of color diversity is really investing in these people Mm -hmm. um and and helping them stick around is by the only way you can really do that is by buying from them yeah i always tell people like i always tell people stop telling me how great my business is and actually purchase from Mm -hmm. me don't ask me to sponsor or do something for free ask me how much it costs to put this together and see how you can support me because asking me to do something for free is actually making me lose unless you're providing something in return which is going to help me grow my business right stop doing that and we should stop asking vendors to do that as well Mm -hmm. Uh, yes I feel very strongly about I mean I think freelancers in general like the the exposure dollars it's like it doesn't help me I can't pay my rent with exposure dollars you can't just put my logo somewhere and expect people to look me up because that's not how it works I'm Mm -hmm. not Nike (laughs) can you talk a little bit actually that food to eat was around before the whole presidential situation we have now have you seen a change with the political climate um whether good or bad or anything that's impacted how you guys run your business yeah what's interesting is that um we like i I was telling you earlier we didn't talk a lot about our mission you know it was up on our website a little bit um but we didn't like really just put it out there all the time And, and not because we didn't think people would um that people wouldn't want to do business with us because we work with immigrants just because we didn't know if that's what was important to people. Yeah. And then we realized it is, of course it is like people want to be able to understand why we do what we do. And so once we started doing that more, we realized people were actually looking for that. Like the search terms that we were getting from, you know, like Google to our website, we mm. realized that people were actually looking for that. We What were the terms? You know, like uh, immigrant caterers and stuff oh, wow, like that. Okay. And um, women-owned caterers, we saw that happening a lot. And we actually recently in the last six months changed the wording on our website um, to say that we work with immigrant women, minority-owned businesses. We were only talking about it when we were in meetings, but we didn't actually mm-hmm. put it on our verbiage, like on our website or on our, our one-pagers. And we saw the whole, whole that like made a huge change. We see more inbound that is coming from places that are looking for people like us and then that want to continue doing business with us. It's not just a one-time purchase. They want to keep working with us because of who we're representing and who we're investing in. Do you see um, people who eat those free meals at 
their job actually go and pay, um, become patrons of the businesses um, where or I don't know if you can track that per se, but like any sort of like that cross. So we haven't um, tracked that per se. Like we I, we haven't spent time to do that. That would be a really cool thing for us to spend time on. Um, but we haven't been able to do that. But we have like just heard from our vendors like, oh, yeah, like, you know, we got I got a catering from one of the jobs that you gave us. And we're like, cool, like we would have loved that's that awesome. that came through us. But at the end of the <laughs> yeah. day, if it came to you, that's that is showing us that we're helping you at the end of the day. And that's the most important thing to us. Um, over lunch, you also had a story of someone who actually left their corporate job where they were um, eating food to eat, like catered food, and then became one of your vendors. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so she, um, it's a vendor named King David Tacos. I don't know if she was inspired by us or if this happened before, <laughs> but uh, King David Tacos is a brec- Austin-style breakfast taco place. She was working at one of the ad agencies we work we work with today. And um, at the time, I think, you know, her father had passed away. She was missing home for obvious reasons. Um, and wanted to honor her father. So she started King David Tacos um, by, she named it David to honor her father. And she decided to make um, Austin style breakfast tacos because she missed Austin. And so it was like a perfect pair. And it was awesome to see, you know, somebody who we used to work with. I mean, we don't work with her directly. She was one of the employees there. But it was cool to be able to like now work with her and say, hey, yeah. you're serving a company that we also work with and, yeah. and, and you used to work there. And and those are the stories that I think that matter, right? Again, people want to buy into brands that they can connect with, stories that they can relate to. Um, because who doesn't miss home, right? Who doesn't mm-hmm. miss something that reminds them of home? And food is one of those things, right? Like when we all probably, you know, if we've ever moved away or went to college, we'd always think about like, oh, I miss my, you know, my mom's this or the yeah. pizza from the corner where I used to live yeah. down the street and all that kind of stuff. And so food always has an emotional connection. And again, like I made your food as a part of that. How do we strike emotion when somebody goes and kind of picks up their food when they see this picture something happens to them, right? Whether it be positive or negative, I can't control that. But like something happens where they have some kind of an emotional connection and they took that a few seconds to think about where their food came from. One of the other things, I think we've had a good amount of kind of mission-driven businesses on the podcast recently and there's always the topic of like fundraising and money. Um, Many times these businesses are bootstrapped. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that journey for Food to Eat? You did raise some money at the beginning when you were consumer-focused and then you bootstrapped a lot of it and kind of dealing with like you can't give those outsized returns that VCs are looking for, but you have a mission. Um, how do you balance those two things as you look forward for your business? Yeah. So when it comes to food to eat, you know, I, when we, when we started off as a consumer, we were a very scalable model. We had a tech platform, I mean, which we still have, but we were selling as a pure tech platform and it was easier to go to VCs because that's what VCs want to see. Something that mm-hmm. Um, doesn't cost a lot to run and is extremely scalable and has some kind of tech component so that it can scale. Yep. Um, we we just had to think about where we wanted to be as a business and what we wanted to do. And when I did go, when we pivoted, you know, I was bootstrapping a little bit and I did go to you know some VCs to talk to them. And a lot of what I kept hearing was, you know, you aren't a scalable model because you're a concierge service. So that means there's people involved you know, customers aren't just going in and placing their own order, their own orders. And I just thought like, well, I don't want to build the business that they want to see. I want to build a business that's a bit more impactful, Mm -hmm. that even if it's just in New York, I can see where it's going and how it's growing. And so for me, that was just really essential to the core of who I was at the time and today and the business that I wanted to create for food to eat. And, um, you know, if I ever wanted to create something a bit more scalable, I could, which is what we did with Bicky. Mm-hmm. And we created a, you know, a data focused uh, software that helps restaurants in other ways. And so with Food to Eat, I just knew what I wanted and I just stuck to it and I didn't, you know, budge. And I thought, OK, well, I'm going to stop talking to VCs and I'm just going to build a profitable business. And that's what I did. You know, we we made sure that we were working with a number of business that would bring us a certain amount of revenue and will help us keep the lights on and continue to do the great work that we do and create campaigns like I made your food. 
Can you talk also about, um, as you started hiring staff for Food to Eat, making sure that the people you hire, I mean, like the team has a really, really high touch with all your clients, making sure that they have embody your mission, that they like really buy into what you want to do and kind of like have that ethos within the company culture. Yeah, I mean, what's funny is that, you know, people always ask like as an entrepreneur, what are some of the mistakes you made in hiring was one of them in the beginning when I first started the company. I wasn't selling the mission. I wasn't selling the why enough. And in the past, you know, three, four years, I've made it, you know, my mission to make sure that I do that, right? That I, every employee that I talk to, um, that, you know, is a potential employee, I talk to them about what their why is in their life, right? Mm -hmm. Like, why do they do what they do, right? Whether it's a side project or whether they go for a run, like, why are they doing these things? And, and trying to understand their purpose um, and and what drew them to food to eat, right? I love to hear things that aren't just what they read on the website and, you know, maybe sure. an article they found out about us or something, but what drove them to food, even if they don't necessarily have to come from expertise food backgrounds, but they have some connection to it and some love to it. Yeah. And I don't like when they call themselves foodies. So if you ever <laughs> call yourself a foodie, you cannot work at food to eat. It's just, it's why? Just, why? Why? It's why just, is that term so bad now? I, you know what it is? Because I, I don't think, I, I feel like everybody loves food. You yeah. know, like calling yourself, what does that even mean? I don't understand it. Just, just say that I have a deeper connection to food. I don't know. Like yep. it just, it's just a weird word to me. And I think it's just become just something to say you know, rather than it meaning anything. And yeah. so for me, it's just, I, I like to hear stories and I don't like when people just say, oh, I'm, I'm a big foodie. Okay, cool. Well, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Do you enjoy ingredients? Do you enjoy understanding the process behind food and how it's manufactured or how it affects our environment? Or you just like to eat a lot? Like, what yeah, is it? There's and really a difference. There's a huge difference in the interest of food when you say that. So I, it just never explains what you mean. And so that's what I like to understand is, cool, you can be a foodie, but explain it. And and most people don't. They just say, I'm a foodie. I'm like, cool. Yeah, I, cool I, I feel like I get introduced a lot to like, oh, this person's a foodie, so you guys must like each other. But that person is great. It's, they are a foodie. They just like to eat. Like, yeah. we don't really have anything to talk about, you know? Yeah, it's like, who doesn't like to eat, right? At the end of the yep. day, sure, I can talk to you about eating pizza all day. <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> that doesn't do anything. Um, well, I want to talk a little bit before we go into our um, last few minutes about Bicky and what that does and how, A, why it's a scalable model, how that works, um, but also kind of giving that marketing power back to restaurants. Yeah. So what we realized is restaurants have a lot of different um, pieces of technology where they get data from. Mm -hmm. And so one can be their point of sale from their native online ordering website, from third party online ordering websites that we talked about. Um, and the data points are their customers. And none of these data points and these customers actually talk to each other. So I don't know if somebody that's ordering on Seamless is actually coming in and, um, you know, that data lives on my point of sale. And so what we're trying to do is um, we're creating a dashboard where we aggregate all of that data and we're creating ways for Russians to be able to engage with these customers by being able to create marketing campaigns. Right? So like more customized? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so to be able to like talk to them and like create a flow so that they can actually not just talk to them once and provide them 10% off because they came to their restaurant once, but be able to actually like talk to them more and engage them more and reel them into their brand. You know, at the end of the day, everyone sees Sweetgreen as yeah. the one company that's doing that really well. And the way they've done that is they've raised a ton of money. And not every brand when they are starting out has that. And so how can we help brands do that from day one? Mm -hmm. Help build, help them build brand equity from the first day that they open their doors and talk about who they are and keep people interested in their businesses, especially if those customers like them, right? At the end of the day, people will unsubscribe and that happens. Sure. But give them the tools to be able to do it and in, a, in the most cost-effective way possible. Do you find that... Um more so with, you know, immigrant minority on women's uh, female run businesses, like there is this, uh, they want, they want people to come in because they love the food and there's a little bit almost of a fear of self-promotion, um, at all. Like they're worried. I don't, I don't know if I'm saying it the right way, but some of the times I find they're like almost like, oh, well we want the food to speak for ourselves. Like we don't want to be out there and be boastful when, and mm -hmm. I'm like, no, like you should be out there promoting yourself. You should say you're the best because you are the best. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that just in general, um, not just food businesses, I think that the, I've seen this amongst like other women entrepreneurs that I and I had a 
a hard time doing this, like talking about ourselves and just like saying great things about ourselves. Yeah. Men do this very easily and, and women don't do it as much. So I think it's a confidence factor. Um, again, just going back to like going in and making them more comfortable is important. And again, with Vicky, we're trying to do this with technology and just saying the data lives here's how to read it and here's how to reach out with pe- to people. And with Food to Eat, we're doing this by like doing the I Made Your Food campaign and going in and really, you know, getting them to talk about themselves and tell their stories because it's important. People want to know these things so that they keep coming back. And so we try to show them data points as to why it's important to talk about yourself. And also it's reaffirming to see like, hey, this person came in this one channel, but then they came into the store five times. Like, clearly exactly. they do like you. And you, you can are- just better serve them, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, like, you know, there's better, there's ways to get to know your customers. And this is just an easy one that we're trying to build for you. And that's what Bicky is really about is just, don't sell a vegetarian pepperoni, sell a vegetarian, you know, some great cheese pizza because Mm -hmm. that's what they want or some vegetables or whatever it is. And talk to them about your vegetable process as opposed to your, how you cure your meats or whatever, you know? And I think that's really important is to target your customers and we're helping them segment them, right? Understand who comes here 10 times a week Mm -hmm. as opposed to who comes once a month. Why can't we get all of them to come 10 times a Mm -hmm. week, you know? And that's what we're helping uh, them create is that just, better understanding of their customers. Would you say that those two segments of customers should be emailed differently or, and like what, what does that look like? I guess not conclusive for everyone. Yeah. I mean, every brand is really different that we talk to, right? Like a breakfast, uh, acai bowl place is very different than a salad place or, uh, you know, frozen yogurt. And so obviously like the campaigns that we talk to them about are different, but yeah, I mean the customer that come 10 times a week wants to see something different versus the one that comes, um, you know, once a month, the one that comes 10 times a week, you can, you know, tell them about new products that you might be, you might be getting or something, you know, you see that they're ordering the same thing over and over, maybe ask them why, and maybe understand that they did try something and that didn't work out and Mm -hmm. suggest different things to them or whatever. And, um, the one that comes once a month, maybe they just don't live here. Right. And so you've understood that by communicating with them to some extent. And so again, it's just understanding them, sending them different messaging, Um, and being able to, you know, again, communicate better. So in the last few minutes, um, we'll do our rapid fire series, which is really just to get to know you better. (laughs) Now that we've been talking about getting to know all your vendors better. um, But I'll start with, I promise these are really easy. I'll start with, um, what is your favorite way to eat eggs? Ooh, I don't eat eggs. (gasps) No eggs. No eggs. You're vegetarian, but no eggs. No eggs tons of dairy but no eggs Mm. is there anything that you eat as like a egg in place of when people would eat eggs so a typical breakfast i guess Ooh, typical breakfast is like uh scrambled tofu toast yogurts um but yeah so it's weird i i'll eat eggs if they're mixed in a cake or a cookie (laughs) but i won't eat them because i just don't like the flavor the texture of them it's just weird you don't like them soft or hard like no 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 no. they no not in my fried rice (laughs) not in my breakfast nowhere they can't be there okay what about like a very eggy bread like a brioche I'll still eat that. Okay. Because you still can't really taste it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even realize that brioche is a very eggy bread. <laughs> but I won't eat like a quiche, for okay. example. Yeah, because that is, that's so like, like, a, like pure egg. Yeah, yeah. Egg forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Egg forward, yes. <laughs> um, what's the best meal you've had under $10? Ooh, under $10, um, Ganesh Temple in Queens, of a dosa. I've been meaning to go there. Well, I live in Flushing now and oh. I grew up I grew up in Flushing and we moved back to be closer to family, my parents, aka helping us raise our kids. Um, but yeah, doses. How many kids do you have and how old are they? Two kids. One is two and a half oh no, he's almost three in April. Um, and the second one is nine months. Um if you could be any animal, what would your spirit animal be? Mm. a lion a lion i don't know why i just said that because they're really awesome and cool and they roar really loud and they're just unapologetically themselves that's a good answer um if you could learn any skill overnight what would it be singing singing yeah because i feel like um you know i think i have a very okay mediocre voice it's good enough to sing like to myself and maybe to my kids <laughs> but i feel like there are certain songs that I really just want to sing because I have some kind of emotional connection to you mm-hmm. and I can't when I can't reach those heights. And so a lot of times I get really sad and I realize I'm a horrible <laughs> singer. So I think that would be a really like 
a lovely skill to have. What songs would you sing? Anything by Lady Gaga. She's um, a great singer. Mariah Carey. And I say those two just because they have like those really crazy extreme yeah. voices. Whitney Houston. Yeah, yeah. All that's... women. The men that sing are just always like, <laughs> <laughs> I I'm a terrible singer. And once I was actually just singing to myself in the shower, this was when I, a few months into when my husband, now husband and I moved in together and I literally heard him snickering outside <laughs> of the batch. And I was like, is that you? Are you laughing at me? And I realized I am probably worse than I actually thought I was. Yeah, I think a lot of us are. <laughs> um, if you could have superpower what would it be a superpower i don't know if this is something i necessarily would say i really want but sometimes i really want to know what people are thinking Mm. would you want to know it all the time no selectively Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. i i think that i would lose my mind if i could hear everything everyone was saying yeah and also you just like you can't even focus because yeah yeah it'd be too much um when you're sick or not feeling well what do you make for yourself as comfort food probably what I shouldn't be eating like mac and cheese (laughs) something that's like not good for my stomach (laughs) yeah um and last question uh great book or podcast or something you've read or listened to recently podcast oh book crap I'm like I'm gonna be honest article I'm like I have two kids and it's impossible to find time to do any I read a lot of like articles I I mean I feel like I've been reading a lot you know because of my political background and just um, love for just politics in general and how it plays a part in our lives. I mean, I, I read a lot of the New York Times and what's happening today um, and in the world. So I have been reading a lot about the freshman, you know, congresswomen that have that have been just making a lot of amazing moves. So yeah. I think like from the cut to the New York Times, I, I mean, I spent a lot of time on BBC. And so just daily news is really important to me. Um, but I love reading about the the new congresswomen just because, there's so many of them that have just come in and they are changing things and they are not asking questions, right? They're just, they're asking questions when necessary, but they're doing what it, you know, what we all have been wanting our government to do from day one. Instead of just saying they're going to do things. Yeah. Well, um, thank you so much for being on the show today. Can you tell our listeners where to find you, where to find food to eat and how they can order from you next? So to find us on all social media platforms, we're food to eat on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, to find me, I am deep D NYC on Instagram and Twitter, deep D Sharma one, just email info at food to eat. If you want any good food. Awesome. And you can always find us at why food podcast. Um, and if you have questions or nominations or just thoughts in general, um, please email us why food at heritage radio network.org. Uh, thank you to Amanda, our sound engineer and Ooh. our song is blind by the red crickets. See you next week. I lost my track of time at the piece of gold. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.